0: Next question, um, could you define what trauma is? Because sometimes people are traumatized by things they don't even know that they are. We don't know sometimes, you know? I think it's an excellent place to start. People have
1: different experiences and those experiences that overwhelm their ability to cope can be traumatic. So trauma is defined by the experience of the survivor. So, and I say that because what could be traumatic for you may not be traumatic for me, and vice versa. So, someone may be in a car accident and subsequently never drive again. And other people may say, I can't believe she's been driving for 30 years and now she has an accident and she doesn't want to drive anymore. You may not think that that's traumatic, but for her or him, whoever that person is, that was traumatic. And we don't get to define trauma for other people. And so that person may not even think they were traumatized, but it impaired their ability to ever want to get behind the wheel again. That means something traumatic has happened.
0: Mm. And so
1: we do want people to give it a name. It's trauma. And it's a, it can be a scary word for some people for the first time thinking that what they grew up in is traumatic or the dynamics that they um, endured as a child is traumatic. It is it, what it is. And we want people to be able to embrace that word and begin to, to heal. So that's trauma can go from a little T from something that could be perceived by some as small to a big trauma. So, and then you can have multiple traumas in between. So little T's, enough of
0: them will mm-hmm. feel like A big traumatic event in someone's life. That's it. I believe that we had to go through this season. I believe
1: this is a God appointed season for every single individual. How we choose to use this time to connect, reconnect, or connect with Him to come out of this in a growth oriented way. Will be whether or not we're obedient and disobedient so if we're already disobedient we've been doing things that have been against god or his word or his will and his promises i pray that this shifts you this mm-hmm. shifts you into what that is if that wasn't working for me maybe i need to try this because i do believe this is a god uh, and believe i believe that i have an assignment this season and everybody has an assignment in this season And how we choose to use this time will make a difference about how we come out of this. We're all going to come out of this together. Now, I am aware that people have lost their lives. And I am aware that people are grieving. So I don't want people to think that I have been dismissive about that. Mm -hmm. I am absolutely aware that there there are going to be lots of folks for months and years grieving. Mm. And even with that, God has appointed people in those spaces to help heal. And nice. so people just have to take heed to the signs of the times. Do what you need to do in terms of lining up with his will and his rest so you can be ready for what he has coming for you.
0: Excellent. Well, hello and welcome to the Well After Hours. I'm your host, Beverly Allen. And we are in the month of July. And July is observed as National Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. Formerly, B.B. Moore Campbell National Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. And in the past several years, the Well has tried to continue to highlight awareness on the mental health issues, particularly in the Black and Brown communities. And so... Since we have been doing it, my special guest today, we have been blessed to have her presence with us. And we're so thankful to welcome back Dr. Angela Roman-Clack. Dr. Clack, thank you for being back with us on The Well today. Anytime, this is
1: one of my favorite months. And anytime you invite me to your platform to talk about mental health, I will never say no to you. And we will be inviting
0: you back many times, (laughs)
1: Uh,
0: you know, but uh, before we get started, could you just tell the viewers a little bit about yourself because you also have a private practice and are doing so many great things. Sure. So right
1: now, um, so I'm located physically in New Jersey. So I'm in Southern New Jersey, but I also work with many people who are in Pennsylvania. So I am licensed as a psychotherapist, licensed professional counselor in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. So I do service both areas. I am currently in private practice. Um, Right now, all telehealth, all virtual. So it's all remote. I um, gave up my brick and mortar a year after the pandemic. And so, you know, if I need an office, I, you know I sublet or borrow a colleague's office. But thus far virtual health has worked very well for myself and for persons who've sought out my practice. I have three clinicians, they're all part-time but nonetheless, I am growing my practice and it's kind of taken a turn in a really, really good direction for me with scaling and growing it. I'm looking to hire folks, Um, we, you know Um, evangelist Beverly, during the pandemic, I think we met or we talked, somehow we had a connection. And I was sharing that during that time, that the demands of mental health therapists um, were not enough to meet the needs of the community. There were so many people who needed us and there just weren't enough of us. And that I had almost a nine, 10 month waiting list. And I really, really worked hard to see as many people as I could um, until it affected my mental health and my physical health. And so I had to make some changes. And I am finally and almost caught up. So now I don't have this huge waiting list anymore. We're almost caught up to the next, the last couple of months. When I couldn't see someone, I would refer them to a colleague because we were all really working with each other to make sure people were being seen because it was such a very difficult and stressful time. So my primary population I work with, we work with adults. We do take adolescents as young as 17. I do have a therapist who works with young people. So we start at 17 all the way up into the 60s um so there's no one that's too old for us um we don't have a therapist who works more with a geriatric or aging population so we primarily work with black and brown women and they're typically ranging from 25 to about 65 and we're working with a lot of depression and anxiety and trauma
0: wow i tell you uh i in just listening to you talk about you know going through the pandemic how overloaded you were i I just want to read some statistics just a few to give the viewers an idea of how critical the mental health issue is for black and brown communities because why we try to highlight and uh, bring awareness um, to the fact of our mental health and um a new study was published in the International Journal of Health Services, uh, which corroborates the fact that researchers found that black young people were less able to get mental health services than white children and young adults. And this happens even though rates of mental illness are generally consistent across all ethnicities. And a lot of that is due to we don't have enough people, <laughs> you know, professionals to actually meet the need of so many people, and it says uh, one of the stu- a few of the statistics are African American adults are 20% more likely to experience mental health issues than the rest of the population. 25% of African Americans seek treatment for a mental health issue compared to 40% of white individuals. The reasons for this drop off include misdiagnosis by doctors, socioeconomic factors, and a lack of African-American mental health professionals. Adult Black African-Americans living below poverty are three times more likely to report severe psychological distress than those living above poverty black African-Americans are less likely than white people to die from suicide as teenagers, but black African-American teenagers are more likely to attempt suicide than are white teenagers. And uh, they say 8.3% versus 6.2%. Only 6.2% of psychologists and 5.6% of advanced practice psychiatric nurses, 12.6% of social workers and 21.3% of psychiatrists are members of minority groups. According to the National Association of Mental Illness, only 3.7% of members in the American Psychiatric Association and 1.5% of members in the American Psychological Association are Black. And African-Americans of all ages are more likely to witness to be victims of serious violent crimes. Exposure to violence increases the risk of developing a mental health condition such as post-traumatic stress disorder and depression and anxiety. African-American children are more likely than other children to be exposed to violence, which can have a profound long-term effect on their mental health. And some African-Americans see mental illness as a punishment from God. Up to 85% of African-Americans describe themselves as fairly religious or or religious, and they commonly use prayer as a way to handle stress, according to one study cited by the American Psychiatric Association. There is just um, great more needs than there are people, especially when you consider that, you know, we are looking for people who look like us to help Mm -hmm. us, and when there aren't enough then person professionals like yourself become overloaded, And as you said, because of your heart and compassion to help people, you wind up putting your own selves in jeopardy and having health issues, as you say. And um, I don't know what the answer, maybe you can tell me if we're getting any closer (laughs) to an answer to help people if there are more facilities or uh, I guess maybe I should even back up because in order to, um, help people, you have to know that they need help. And we're at the place where I would ask you how we can begin to develop healthy conversations, even within our families, within relationships or groups that we have. We try to form sisterhood groups and things like that, but trying to remove that stigma where we feel comfortable enough To say, you know what, I've just been depressed lately because we always want to appear so strong before each other as if that's a strength when really it's a weakness when you can't, you know, honestly and openly talk about, you know, what your feelings are.
1: Yes. So, so much to unpack with, um, with what you shared. And and that's exactly why we're having this conversation in the month of July Mm -hmm. and how you introduced this as, you know, minority, national minority Mental Health Awareness Month, B.B. More Camel Month, because of her compassion to do exactly what you said in, I believe 2012, um, was to get families and communities to start speaking about the distress that they were feeling, the mental health issues, without the stigma and judgment attached. That was her whole goal. Mm-hmm. I recently listened to an interview um, on uh, therapyforblackgirls.org. That is a platform that carries lots of information, particularly directory for therapists of color if people are looking for a a, uh, therapist. But she also has a huge podcast. And she, she for the month of July, interviewed the friend who partnered with B.B. Moore in creating this initiative in California, in LA, back in 2012. We know, in case the listeners aren't aware, that B.B. Moore Campbell has since passed. And so I think she's been more than 10 years since she passed. But the people who um, came together to partner with her and to get this through D.C. at the time, through the mayor and then, um, uh, you know, Congress and to make this a national. So they had an interview and they just spoke so, about her compassion to get people, to get family, mm-hmm. just girlfriends, women to talk. And sometimes we think that therapy can only happen inside the four walls of an office or virtually. But healing can come in other forms. And if we start with our sister circles, if we start with our Bible studies, if we bring up the conversation in classrooms, we can start church groups, right? Book clubs. If we make it easy for us to talk to each other, it will be easier For people that then talk to someone outside of that group, um, i.e. a mental health professional. But if there's judgment, if there's condemnation, right, um, you don't have enough faith, or you should pray more, or you should go to church more, if there's condemnation around seeking help, then we are further reinforcing a stigma. I would love to say that we are making headway. I definitely see it, but I do know that there is gonna always be a pocket of folks who this just ain't gonna be okay for them. Mm-hmm. And they're gonna be vocal about it. And they're gonna be discouraging someone who really needed to talk to someone professionally.
0: Wow. Um, in actually addressing the um, kind of like, well, getting close enough to be able to help have healthy conversations um, with some of our uh, loved ones or, you know, friends being able to. I know that uh, there are corporations now that uh, actually offer employees uh, Mm -hmm. the uh, capability of speaking with some within the the corporate structure Mm -hmm. if you are having, you know, uh, any kind of issues. Can you kind of tell us what the route or lay of the groundwork is, how we move from mental uh, wellness into maybe mental, mental disorders, because that can be progressive and we don't realize it, you know, when we're walking in that direction, how can we recognize ourselves or even loved ones when they may be, you know, starting to go off the path? mental wellness
1: what a great question and segueing from what we just talked about um being silenced is certainly not the way to do this so if we see loved ones that we would say you know back in the day we would say aunt or uncle so and so oh they've always been that way or we just kind of keep him in the back room or they keep them hidden or they keep them silenced instead of saying, maybe there's something we need to look into or taking them to a doctor. And maybe the doctor also isn't so well-versed in mental health and starts prescribing things because the family members aren't honest about the functioning of the person they're bringing in. I think one of the hardest disorders for people to talk about is psychosis and schizophrenia but it's present in so many families. And it's also one of those things that seem to be transmitted generationally, but people will hide the fact that I hear voices or I see things. It could be under the guise of spirituality. Um, you know, people can think, oh, that's just their faith or, you know, they, they see visions and things Now that can be true for people, right? We know that in, in many faiths and in, in, uh, in belief systems that people are seers. And, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about people who have hallucinations to hurt people or to hurt themselves mm-hmm. or to see things and to hear voices and things like that. And we silence them and shut them down and hide them. And if we had a generation of folks who said, no longer are we doing this. If I see something, I'm gonna say something. Because children very young also can have psychosis. And so if my great-great-grandmother had it, and then maybe it passed a couple of generations, and then I have a great aunt, and I start to see something in my 14-year-old or my 10-year-old, it's not okay for me to wait too long. Because delayed treatment is no treatment. You wait too long, it gets deeply entrenched. And the person is going to find it harder and harder to want to talk about it. So we have to make it okay in families to say, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. And then not to judge what not okay is. Well, you know, she's always been the strong one in the family. She'll make it. She's okay. You know, she's just having a hard day. And so we hide that. It's, the, you know, the the poem, the Langston Hugh poem, the mask we wear. How many women wear this mask of I'm suffering behind I'm fine, I'm good, or we turn it into some kind of addiction. So I'm a workaholic or I'm an alcoholic or I'm a shopaholic. So I turn it into something else because I'm too afraid to ask for help because I don't want to be judged and called crazy by my family and friends. So the more conversations we have, like you and I are having more platforms like this that show up with people who look like me and you, who authentically are just showing up as ourselves. We're not trying to be anything that we're not. We're trying, not trying to have a conversation in any way that's not understandable clinically to people. We're being very clear, you know, making sure that people are okay with what they're hearing and knowing it's okay to say, you know, if I'm in this profession, I'm certainly not going to discourage people from getting help. And people say, do you think I should talk to someone? Of course, I'm going to say yes. Now, if someone says that to me and I think they don't need it and I say, oh, I think this is what you need. I'm going to say that too, but I'm never going to discourage someone from looking into getting their brain checked out. That's really what mental health is. Let's go see how your brain is working because somehow your thoughts aren't so healthy right now. And it's showing up in all kinds of ways. I also wouldn't discourage someone who says, I think my gallbladder, or I think my pancreas, or I think my thyroid, I wouldn't tell them to, oh, you're strong. You can handle mm-hmm. it. You don't need mm-hmm. it. I wouldn't tell them to delay treatment for a physical part of the body. So I'm not going to tell them to delay treatment. I'm going to encourage them to get their brain and their mind and their thoughts examined as well. So if one of us has a the conversation, then it, I hope that each family member will then at least listen and hear, even if they feel like they can't. And I get it. Like, I honestly get it that some families just aren't open to talking about mental health. It's scary. We know something's wrong. We don't want to talk about it. But if you are the person who can't manage those feelings, please make it okay for the other people in the family to go get help. If you, you know, you know, when we grow up, we tell kids, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything mm-hmm. at all. Then I say the same thing. If it's too hard, or scary for you. Don't discourage other
0: people. Wow. Are there um, particular signs that we can, that we should look at when we're noticing people? Because sometimes we don't really see each other. You know, mm-hmm. we're so busy passing each other that we don't see each other to recognize, you know, until it's, you know, really out of control or outbursts or something happens, you know, I'm looking on the news at so many things that have happened with these shootings and, and people just out of control. And I guess this is kind of, it's not that we're post pandemic, but more than we were before, you know, um, the results or actions of, of of persons now, if this has anything to do with, you know, going through the COVID pandemic things that after affects them.
1: Oh, I love this question too. Boy, you got a lot of good questions today. So the reason why I think about that is um, not this mass shooting. And I hate to have to say that. So I'm not talking about this most recent one. It was the one before this. And I just hate to have to number them because they're happening so close to each other and so many. But the last one um, in Texas with the elementary school. What the community of and i and I and I don't want to misrepresent, but they it is a minority community and and I don't know if it was South Americans if it was Mexican, but I knew that they were a marginalized group, and I remember thinking after hearing that, and people were reacting different ways to it, and I remember thinking that there there's a mom and dad, a sibling who's going to wake up without their their baby their their child, and then I thought whoa, who's gonna take care of those children who are still here, who were witness to that? We have generations of trauma to come from these mass shootings. From the kids now, we don't know what, their second and third, they they were little people. I don't know what middle school will do for them. You know, by that age, will the trauma show up? By high school, like, we have to think that, that there is an acute state of trauma that happens at the time of the event. But then we have to think about what are the generations for these kids and what that's gonna look like. And if we don't pay attention to them, because that's your question, what do we look for? Because we don't always know what to look for. If someone is different than how you've known them, that would mean that you'd have to know this person pretty good. So if I have a friend and I see her on social media a lot and she's always doing something or she's in the community, she's volunteering and then a year goes by, six months goes by, and I don't see her anymore, you know? Um, and I may think, oh, maybe social media, is something that she decided to get off of. But then I see her somewhere and I noticed that she's different. I'm probably going to start to ask questions a little bit more, you know, and find out what what was the last year like for her or because I knew her one way and she's showing up another way. So one of the things we want to do is pay attention to, Are they showing up differently than the way that we knew them? Now, it could be a very valid concern. People have lost people, you know, so it could be the grief that they're wearing. It could be a lot of things. So paying attention to how people show up in terms of their mood, if their mood is different, if their affect is different, if they aren't that cheery person they used to be, if they seem to be very wrong, and maybe even sometimes...
0: I may have to ask you to repeat that because your screen froze up. Something, uh, happened there. Okay. Okay. There we go. You're back. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Um, do you, do you remember how far back you want me to go and catch up? Um, the last, I would say the last, uh, two minutes. <laughs> which okay. You, okay. Yeah.
1: So, so to recap, um, as a result of the, the break just now. So th- to recap that, what I would say is what we need to pay attention to is people's change in their affect, their mood, their personality, even their activity. If there's a person who used to be very active in their life and mm-hmm. they're no longer active or you don't see them in the places that you used to see them. Like if maybe that's a person who used to be at the bingo a lot or they were someone who would be at the cafe every morning getting the same latte they got and you didn't see them for a while. So changes in the way that they do things in terms of routines, um, if they're more isolated, if they're more withdrawn, if you, even if they tell you, I'm not okay, like it's been a hard, a hard year, then we should know that there's something else maybe going on for that person. And it's not that we're prying, you know, if we ge- legitimately care about someone, we're actually just really expressing some kind of concern. But I know some people are very private, and so they may not be as forthcoming.
0: Mm. Wow. Well, you know, that opens up uh, another another thought uh, that I had about many of the um, situations that happen especially when arrests are involved. I don't think the first thing they think of is that this person could possibly have a mental health issue. We have a lot of people in jail who have mental health issues and 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 may, maybe they need to be secured in another facility, but not a prison because that's not helping anything. I mean, prison is supposed to be a rehabilitation facility as well. Uh, as protecting society, but um, I don't think, especially in black and brown communities, that that is a given or even a question or option. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think what happened
0: is over the last few
1: decades, more and more institutions and facilities lost funding. And so more and more places where mental health people would go have closed. As a result of being closed, they don't have access to medical nor mental health um, treatment. So they end up on the street homeless or um, acting bizarre, you know, and then ending up with family members calling police because they're acting bizarre instead of police who are not trained to be social workers or clinicians. They may get a more aggressive response from that person, which means now the person ends up being incarcerated. And you're right. That is not the place for a person who has a mental health
0: or mental illness. Um, And I I know that there are groups who are fighting to try to help that, you know, but what do you do? You can't take them out of prison and put them on the street (laughs) if they're having mental health issues. And if they don't have facilities to put them, then where do they go? Exactly. They end up back on the streets, so
1: hurting themselves or being hurt. Or, or being hurt. Now there are facilities, at least when I worked in corrections, there are facilities who have mental health services, there's psychiatry, there's nursing, but what happens when they leave? So if they you know, persons who have mental health don't stay in jails long, you mm-hmm. know, maybe 60 days, maybe six months for something that they did. And so they get taken care of. Well, but when they come out, who's going to follow their care because they don't have medical care.
0: Oh, I tell you, there's so much um, work to be done. And uh, having said that, um, I just wanted to also give the viewers a little insight into your you know, professional life and uh, what you do. So we're going to just take a minute to uh, go off to show a clip uh, of uh, Dr. Angela Roman Clack in her professional status. And we'll be right back. Don't go away.
1: Listening to this, if you're hearing me now, my dear sisters, please know that there is no shame, there's no judgment. It's all about bringing value to your life when you seek psychotherapy. Our goal as therapists, my goal as a therapist, is to bring awareness to the level of struggle that you have held silently in bondage for so long. And it manifests, it's coming out in your bodies, it's coming out in your relationships, it's coming out in your self-esteem. There's so much work we can do to make you be authentically and unapologetically you. I love that I was able to put together a narrative of women's stories, authentically, and then I integrated it with clinical information. Because I want people to know that there is nothing wrong with talking about hurt there's nothing wrong with feeling misunderstood by people because they don't know your story so my goal is to help women rewrite their stories of trauma from being a victim to being victorious
0: Well, I know you viewers just enjoyed seeing that clip of Dr. Clack and uh, all that surrounds, her, you know, her professional and some of her personal life and uh, journey. And um, but you know what? Before we went to break, um, I wanted to also ask you, um, Dr. Clack, about things that trigger us. Triggers that people might understand what that actually is, because sometimes you're talking to somebody and you don't even realize they get upset or there's an outburst, and we don't. We like what. Well, what did I say? What did I do? You know, and so that we can even be aware of sometimes our language that we use yeah. uh, when we're speaking to people.
1: Yeah, I love that because one of the words that I also use with um, some of my clients, they don't even like that word trigger.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so I will also use, well, what activates, what gets activated in your body when such and such happens? Because triggers do the same thing, they also impact the body. So sometimes it is felt physiologically before it is interpreted in the mind. So if on the 4th of July, I am a Vietnam vet or a veteran and uh, I was in battle, or maybe I was in Desert Storm and I was in battle on the front lines, and on the 4th of July, the fireworks could seem so innocent to the kid who's throwing them in the street, or to everyone on a parkway who's watching them, that could be very triggering for someone who's heard gunshots and have been um, close to uh, grenades and things going off very near them. And seeing the devastation of what that looks like and almost losing their life, that's very triggering for one group of people who that has been their life or their, you know, um, uh, hearing gunshots and and being in battle, where it's not triggering for the little kids who are watching their parents set off fireworks and things like that. It can be very triggering for a woman or a young girl who is a victim of molestation to smell the same scent of a cologne on a passerby when the wind blows of the one who assaulted or raped her. That smell will activate the memory of that trauma, that assault, And then her whole body could just be paralyzed with fear and anxiety, or it could be the opposite. I could have this huge rage response and just people would just say, what's wrong with you? Why are you so angry? And because sometimes I don't know all the time what my triggers are, I may not be able to make that immediate connection. And so sometimes I don't even know all my triggers if I'm a person who has them. But when people have had them Enough, they start to learn what they are. Once you learn what your triggers are, you want to work through them. What people do is avoid them. So if I know that, um, I'm trying to think of something, if I have a fear of elevators, but I have a job opportunity in the highest high rise in New York City, there's no way I'm walking 22 to 25 sli- flights of sl- steps. <laughs> every day and be on time for work, I've got to overcome and conquer that fear because this is the opportunity I've been waiting for. Or I could avoid that and then kill myself walking those steps for as long as I have that job. Then I'm reinforcing my fears. So people think triggers are a way to say, now I know what they are. I can avoid that. No, we don't want you to avoid these things because the more you avoid them, the more you reinforce them. You make them stronger. Mm. So you need someone to help you to conquer those fears. So triggers are anything that will cause a physiological reaction in your body and in your mind. It then will connect to or attach or give meaning to something that happened. And then once you learn what your triggers are, you want to, um, the therapist, of course, this is more professionally, will help to disconnect that in some way so that you can experience something and not be as triggered. And then say you won't be, but you won't be as triggered and you won't restrict your life. You know, I've had clients who worked in Philadelphia. Well, as far as I know, there's only one way to get from Jersey to Philly. You have to either go Walt Whitman, Ben Franklin, Commodore Barry. I, I don't know any other way to get over there. Um, and so if people have a fear of crossing bridges, how are they going to get there? So I've had people who have had to do phobia work around crossing bridges so they can get to Philadelphia. Things we don't think about that we take for granted, other people almost live their life restricted in some way.
0: Wow. Um, you know, when I think of that, I'm also thinking about... Uh, what has taken place in our communities. I had read from one of the reports that said exposure to violence increases the risk of developing a mental health condition, uh, such as post-traumatic stress uh, disorders. How many of our people are living in areas, you know, that are below poverty Mm. and have to survive in that environment and they each day coming out, going in, you know, mothers who are working, who keep who have their children there uh, trying to make ends meet. That is trauma. So they have trauma from the community that they take to the job. <laughs> mm-hmm. And when things happen there, that can uh, trigger yes. other things. And people don't look at what is going on in their own uh And sometimes employees like supervisors or things like that uh, don't notice or even take into consideration someone's, um, uh, I guess, district or, you know, uh, location coming from to a a corporation or a job or a business, what they're bringing or what they may bring with them, you know. Work every day. Absolutely.
1: You know, for people who are watching and will watch this. Is that again? Philadelphia is in the news a lot lately, and uh, particularly around violence and gun violence. And one of the things that I think, and we could lots of people could say these are this happens in a lot of urban communities, but it is happening a lot in Philadelphia, and it's just seeming to get worse and worse. Whether it's the poli- political piece behind this. Um, the lack of resource and lack of access to resources, safety, um, just so much is happening that is so disruptive to the kids development, uh, in, in Philadelphia. And, you know, when we think about how much richness there is in Philadelphia, but there's so much around Philadelphia, so many areas that lack things like access to food that is healthy. So we talk about mind, body, wellness all the time. But when you talk about in food insecurity, where the local corner store is where people are getting their groceries, I don't know if there are a lot of places that have foods like healthy greens and vegetables and fruits and things that we say help build the brain, a healthy brain. So we're asking children to come to school brain ready, but they didn't sleep the night before. They didn't eat before you ca- they came to school. And who knows what they walked through. Because a lot of kids in Philadelphia walk to school. Exactly. You know, we think about, I. you know, the other day I was behind a school bus and I think about how privileged kids in New Jersey are. That bus stopped at every corner. And I thought to myself, you mean to tell me them kids couldn't walk from right here to right here? And I was like, I remember when I was in high school, if I missed my bus, I had to walk all the way to school and that had to be two miles and I think the pr- these kids don't realize in, in, in suburban areas, you get a stop at every development. And here the kids in Philadelphia are walking across busy streets, you know, because it is rush hour and it's a very busy business district. Uh, and I'm, I just think about that, like a lot of people come from privilege and don't realize that other kids don't come to school ready Their brain is not ready to learn because too much has happened the night before, two nights before, the weekend before, and they haven't recovered from that trauma in their bodies. Now, I do know, I talked to enough people in Philadelphia, there are plenty of clinicians in Philadelphia. There are more community grassroots organizations that are doing things. The issue is, is how do they get the word out that they're there? So that's one of the things. Another thing is, is access for the person to get to these programs. You know, virtual world has helped, but some of these are going back to in their buildings and things like that. So I know that Philadelphia has things there. It's just as how does the community become more aware that there's opportunities and then we got to get past the stigma. So it's such a huge multi-layered problem and it's so systemic. And again, Philadelphia is not the only city, but that's the that's you and I are close enough to that that city mm. to be able to speak to that. Um and I I wonder about families in the area all the time. And I, you know, sometimes I get to work with people who live there. So I do get to talk to them. Um, but and I've done work, I used to work in Philly, so I do know what I saw. And it's way different from when I worked in Philly, maybe about eight, ten years ago. Wow.
0: And you know, and I think that's where Uh, Hopefully and prayerfully, the stigma will be lifted from churches in the communities because the church can partner uh, with therapists, Christian therapists. I mean, you know, they like they can there's a broad range now so they can, you know, strictly work with someone that they feel trusted with that they can invite into their assemblies and have group kind of sessions where the therapist can come there. you know, now that we're a little clear way uh, out of the pandemic, in a sense.
1: I love that because what you're saying is we don't have to work one on one. We can do one to many. Yeah. I could easily yeah. come do a group of 30. Yes. You know, we can do that. We need the powers to be, whether that's the mayor, mayor's office or mm-hmm. the school district to get through all this red tape and bureaucracy to bring us in. You know that that's the thing. We we are more than willing and ready to come and do some work for the community, but you got to. I know there's a lot of systemic stuff that has to be taken care of. That's really getting in in the way of us doing the work that we want to do when it comes to community work. In the private sector, we control that, so that's not the issue. But a lot of people don't have access to private insurance. Exactly,
0: exactly. And that would be one way to kind of help to cut the cost for people and give them access. And um, uh, I think think many uh, pastors are beginning to open that door. You got to deal with the whole person. It takes nothing away from their spirituality. Um, And you have to learn to identify uh, different ailments, mental ailments and things like that in order to be able to treat it. Mm-hmm. And, and you help people to uh, live better, more productive lives and to actually even grow deeper in their faith. Uh, because some people have a wrong concept. As I read, how many uh, psychiatrists have said some people think it's like a, a punishment from God or something. Yes. It's not at, and, and there, are, there are chemical imbalances in some person's bodies. There's a whole uh, you know slew of things that if you bring a professional in or professionals in, yeah. that can help to identify. And people in a group, they don't have to feel like they're individualized or pointed out because sometimes they don't want to do it personally. But in the group, they can ask questions. They mm. can hear other people ask questions and get answers. So um, prayerfully, <laughs> that mm. I, I pray that that door is widening. Um, for that kind of access, because we listen, we do uh, political things, voting and all other things. Why can't we uh, address? Yeah. That well,
1: and you know, the other place that can do this work are are places like hair salons, barbershops. They can they easily could bring someone in and, and, and have the conversation. But I will say this. The other place where I have been has been on the radio So Philadelphia has radios that they have several stations that are urban stations. And and so I've been on those platforms before talking about mental health and people have called me as a result from hearing me on there. And what I have to do is tell them, because I'm not in Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. you have to go through your system to get me there, you know, or to get, you know, my team or to get any therapist in there, but you have to advocate where you are because it's hard for me to come from Jersey over there to tell Philadelphia what they need to do for this community. If that's your community, you have to take responsibility and accountability and out of your own compassion for your community to go to whether it's your home association, or maybe it is the school district or wherever you need to go and say, I heard these people talk about mental health. Can we get them to come in? There are DHS is huge in Philadelphia. There are people there that can do this work. My belief is that it's not their lack of people. It's that there is something getting in the way of the connection between the people and where these resources need to go. So when people watch this, Just first check your home base. Like what's in my community that I can do? What can I do right in my community? Do I start with my own children and my grandchildren? Do I start with the children in my Sunday school? There's a community rec center on my corner. Do I start there? Where do I go? What's close to me that I can do and impact
0: directly? That's wonderful. Uh, As as we uh, kind of begin to wind down, can you tell the viewers that things that they um, can do to kind of help maintain their mental wellness, some steps that we need to take um, in in considering ourselves, even looking at ourselves to try to, you know, be uh, well mentally, emotionally, and physically, as well as spiritually, you know, but to deal with those things, you know. So.
1: So to the best that we can maneuver, whether we're living in an overcrowded, impoverished area, or we have access to privileged resources, the things that I want people to think about is sleep. It is so important for us to get sleep. A lot of times, because of where we live, we may be sharing an overcrowded apartment or home, and we may be sharing space. People are not sleeping. And so sleep is so important to helping your brain work. If you don't get enough sleep, your body is going to be too exhausted to be able to process and problem solve your next move every day. Your reflexors are, are off. You will feel very foggy. Kids can't concentrate in school. Sleep affects everything. So you must figure out what do I need to do to get sleep? Nutrition is the same way. If you have to go out of your way to find a local farmer's market because it's not accessible to you, maybe it's something in the community can come together and do this. Or maybe you have a relative in another area can find a um, food, food produce place or a farmer's market to get you there once a month or once a week. Healthy food is so important. So food, sleep, prayer, course we're going to say prayer you don't have to be in church some churches are not back in the building Mm -hmm. there's a service every hour of the day on facebook Mm -hmm. watch something on tv or virtually get connected to your belief system and your higher power so that you do not feel helpless and hopeless so we need prayer right we need community who's our community Maybe community is only this small community that I live in if I live in a senior high rise. That's my community and we have dinner together once a month down in the rec room. Maybe my community is my sisters and my sorority. You know, find a community of folks so that you don't feel so isolated and alone. Exercise, exercise, exercise. Walking is free. You don't have to have a gym membership anymore to get well in terms of your body you can do things outside youtube has a hundred fitness people on here that just want you to watch their channel you can go to the dollar store and buy five pound hand weights there's too much freedom <laughs> and free stuff for us to be able you must move your body we have to move a circle our circulation system really depends on movement in the body. So those are the things I say when it comes to mental and physical wellness that is so important. And then I always say, protect what you take in, your ear gate, your eye gate. Protect what you hear, protect what you see. So sometimes unplug from television, unplug kids from video games, get them back outside to get fresh air. And the same thing that is true for us. And then to the best that you can, remove toxic people, toxic places and toxic things out of your life.
0: Ooh. <laughs> you just really laid out some, I should have had my pencil in my hand, but I can play this, I can play this back. I can play this back and take the notes. <laughs> oh, this is this has been so always informative, always mm. a blessing. And I just thank God for you being here. And being a woman of faith, it just makes it that much more, you know, uh, of a blessing because of the anointing that's on your life to do this and the heart that you have. And so having said that, I'm going to ask you at this time, if you would just close us out with a word of prayer absolutely. I want to if thank there's anything else you want to say
1: finalize I want to thank you. I want to thank you, thank you, thank you for the continued opportunity to make mental health a priority on your platform. Mm-hmm. You know, it comes and goes. It's recognized a couple times a month, but for you and I this is an everyday conversation, right? Somewhere along the way we're praying for somebody, thinking about somebody or counseling someone. So thank you so much. You're um welcome. and I Thank you all for following um, us on here. Every time I come, I know you're probably like, she's always on there. <laughs> but guess what? I am so privileged and honored every time I'm asked. It's like it's new every time. So please continue to be a part of this community because it, I can't tell you how much I love watching the replays. And then I'm starting to see people that I actually know. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, you know, there's
0: Dr. Nicole and, um, <laughs> you have another psychologist on here too. Uh, I love watching Dr. Her. Smith. I mean, uh, Kate Kalisha, Minister Kalisha Smith and, uh, and, and the psychologist, Karencia Shade and, uh, and one more. Dr. Oh, Tyler gosh. Cook. Dr. Yes, Carla yes. Cook, yes. You so, are my go to therapist. Yes, I love catching up. I
1: was like, oh my gosh, I didn't get to see it live, but I love when you do encores and replays because it, it allows me to get poured into. So I get to get fed, and, and, and it's not just me watching me. Now I get to watch how other people also pour into other people and how they do their work. So thank you again Aww. for your obedience to the Lord putting on your heart to give mental health a platform. So thank you so much.
0: Amen. Thank you. I'm
1: All right. I'm So, Father God, I thank you again for this opportunity to place my name on Sister Beverly's heart. It is such an honor and a blessing to be thought about so kindly, so fondly, and so affectionately. And Lord, I can only do this because it is the gift that you've given to me of encouragement, of um, healing, but healing the brain and healing the mind, Lord. I just thank you, Father God, that you've given the listeners space and time And hearing to listen to what we're talking about today and just grab what they need for themselves, Father God, just take what they need, take it back to their families, take it back to the workplace, take it back to their community. There's so many golden nuggets that were shared today, Lord, and maybe it's something they've heard before, but they've heard it in a different way because you have downloaded some things that you give me that I don't even know what's going to come. Well, Father God, we thank you for blessing Oh, this ministry. I thank you, Lord, for blessing the family who is running this ministry. So I thank you, Lord, for Evangelist Beverly, her spouse, her kids, the producers for her show. I just thank you, Father God, that you've blessed them to follow her vision
0: and mission that you've given. And in these words, I pray, amen. 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 Thank you so much. And viewers, thank you for hanging out with us around the well again. And we'll be looking for you next week, same time, same place, so you can come and get your blessing. And until then, stay safe, stay well. God bless you. Bye.